What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wadham. Let's talk today about something that is important to me as an educator, phonological awareness. This term describes a person's ability to be able to hear the structure of words and the smaller sounds in words, including syllables and single sounds. For readers, phonological awareness is a strong predictor of reading ability, with many studies showing that poor readers have struggles in this area. So it is clear that being able to recognize and use the smaller sounds that make up words are important skills for children to have. Children who are phonemically aware should be able to identify when sounds in the words are the same. They should be able to identify and make up rhymes. They should be able to parse out the syllables in a word. To help develop these skills in children, parents can do a lot of simple things. Action rhymes common to childhood, like the itsy bitsy spider, are great places to start introducing the structure and rhyming capabilities of words. Also playing games with words can help children practice hearing and using word sounds. A simple game of coming up with rhyming words is a great place to start. Or for a more complex version, start stringing word sounds into sentences, such as, Making milk was Molly Moo Cow's main matter is a great way to play with word sounds. Another great way to engage children with word sounds is through singing and listening to music. Since music naturally breaks up words into syllables, hearing and playing around with the words in songs naturally helps children recognize sound divisions. And last but not least, read books with rhymes. Some of my favorites include the classic Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See by Bill Martin. The extensive series of Llama Llama books by Anna Dudney shows that there is no end to rhyme. No Sleep for the Sheep by Karen Beaumont provides a good foundation for connecting beginning word sounds. And Pete the Cat, I Love My White Shoes by Eric Litwin is a rhythmic feast. So with that little bit of advice from Rachel's world and a few poems, games, songs, and books, you're well on your way to helping your children developing their own phonological awareness. Don't think Hillary Clinton is history's first woman to wield considerable power. We could mention Cleopatra or Elizabeth I or Catherine the Great as examples of women who exercised tremendous sway. But the list is much, much longer than just that. What do you know about Bodacia, Zerobia of Palmyra or the biblical Esther? Or great women of more recent history such as Lilio Kalani, Golda Meir or Indira Gandhi? Today, we meet artist Beth Ann Anderson, who has illustrated a number of books. She talks to Rachel about one of the main themes in her books, Strong, Powerful Women, and what sparked this passion for her. Beth Ann Anderson teaches illustration at BYU. She studied art at BYU's Department of Visual Arts and at the Florence Academy of Art. Here's Rachel and Beth Ann. 
We're in studio with Beth Ann today. Welcome, Beth Ann. Thank you. You are an illustrator of marvelous picture books. Um, and one of the themes I see in your picture books is this sense of strong women. I think you get a lot of, of manuscripts where you illustrate these strong women. And one of my all-time favorites is Ten Queens. So tell us about how how did that book start? What, oh, what's the okay. history? Well, I live in Boise, Idaho. And I would do the Shakespeare posters for Boise. And I did them for free. And I would always do these, you know, kind of singular images of whatever the play was about. So it would have been Hamlet, one Hamlet or something. Anyway, the advantage of doing those posters is they would give me 100 free posters. And this was back when it was very expensive to get 12-color poster. Uh, You know, it would cost thousands. And so I would use those as advertising mailers to publishers. So I sent a poster to uh, a publisher, and they called me and said, we love this poster. We came up with an idea. What if you did a whole bunch of queens? And let's hire an author. So it was an art director and an editor that came up with the idea based on the poster. So they hired Milton Meltzer to write the book and for me to do the images because they liked the image. I don't I don't know if that happens very often, but I was so impressed. And the thing that was incredible in my life is I got to learn the characteristics and do a little research on these queens. And um, Bodicea was living in a tribe in England at a time when England wasn't united and there were a lot of tribes. And the Romans made a deal with her husband and said, we're not going to, you know, if you do this or that, I can't remember exactly, we won't attack your tribe. Well, what happened? They attacked the tribe and killed the husband. And she was so incensed about this, she put her uh, two girls in a cart and went to every tribe and said, this is what the Romans did to my family. And she fought in battle, and she went after these Romans. And because of this experience, it unified the tribes in England at the time to fight the Romans and drive them out of the country. An incredible story. And then it went from there to the other queens. And you know, stories I wouldn't have usually studied. And I'm that's how that book came. And that book was um, pretty successful. So they decided to do one on kings also. I um, like drawing the queens better. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> should I that's say good. that? You should. You should. I, I think we're going we're gonna to focus well, on that. I think at the time there weren't that many stories of strong women. And after that, then I would get a lot of books. And I remember thinking, I love to draw crazy animals. Does anybody want to give me a crazy animal? But, <laughs> but you know, I look back and think how lucky, how absolutely lucky I was to do that because it kind of changed my mind and it made me feel like – um, women are incredible creatures. Well, and I love that book and and The Ten Kings. I do like yeah. that one too. But I love it because it really was at a period when we didn't have a lot of great nonfiction. I mean, today right. we have 
gorgeous illustrated right. nonfiction and gorgeous diversity with women and people of color and all kinds right. of great things. But in that period, when you first did that book, that really wasn't the case. So right. this, this particularly with Milton Meltzer, who is an outstanding author of nonfiction, I right. love his stuff. He's passed away now, but all of his stuff is fabulous. It was really cutting edge for the time. Do you know what I loved about talking to Milton Meltzer? is he was so curious. He was constantly trying to learn and, oh, I found out this and I found out that. And he was just a wealth of knowledge and he was very passionate about his stories. And so I felt very honored to be able to do one. Uh, Another book that I thought was really good was about uh, Patience Wright. She was a revolutionary spy and a sculptress, and she sculpted in wax, and she went into the court uh, during the revolution in Britain, and she would sculpt the royalty and sit and listen to all they're talking about about the revolution. Then she would write on a piece of paper the things that she had learned. She would stuff it up into the sculpture and then send it to America. Which is kind of low tech, low tech subversive <laughs> art at its best. I know, and and she would just sit and um, listen, and I absolutely loved her story. And her studio burnt down, and still she did amazing things. Uh, a lot of these women had a lot of adversity. There's one story in Seven Brave Women that I can hardly talk about without getting choked up. It was a, a grandma. Um, this is the story of... Um, Oh, Betsy Hearn's family. And so what she does in Seven Brave Women, she goes back seven generations. And one of the generations, uh, she talks about the grandmother that um, had a baby boy and was a single parent. And she said when the boy left, she didn't have much, but she took in animals and took care of people. And... um, The only thing that she had from that grandmother was the story of love that she gave to the neighbors. There wasn't anything of value that was left because she didn't have much. But the one thing that she had was her son and uh, passed that on to her family. And I thought, you know, isn't that how it is? Everything else, art is fun, but it's not the most important thing. It's our relationships with people. And I think that's what these stories of women really are, is where they put their concentration and their talents, sideline of the amazing things they did for other people. I love that beautiful sense of just the power that the text and illustrations in these books portray. And one of the things that I noticed that I I mean, I may be totally misinterpreting this, <laughs> but it seems like with all of your books, particularly you pick a color palette because like with the Louisa May Alcott book, it's more of a brown palette. And then the Seven Brave Women is more of a blue palette. And then our revolutionary spy sculptress <laughs> um, is more of a green palette. <laughs> yeah. So do you do you? 
purposely pick those colors to represent maybe something about that? Or is that just maybe a whim or something that yeah. I'm totally seeing that, oh, that no. isn't there? <laughs> no, actually, thank you for mentioning that. I thought with Louisa May Alcott, I, when I was studying that time, I noticed everything was kind of monochromatic and muted. So what I tried to do is before I painted, I'd lay down a layer of uh, Naples yellow and ochre to kind of make it look antique. I don't know if I pulled it off. It doesn't look antique, really. (laughs) But it definitely has a color palette to it. And um, I kind of did that to make it look a little antique or more rich in paint. But um, with Seven Brave Women... There was only one idea I tried to get across in that book, and that was uh, I had a piece of going from page to page with a ribbon that went through the end and then landed to the last, you can be anything you want, you are the next brave woman. And the little piece of is handing the end of the ribbon to a little girl. And um, that's the idea I wanted to get across. And if I had it to do over again, I would have really emphasized (laughs) that (laughs) ribbon and the piece of. So you kind of, you know, you come up with what strikes you about the story and what you really want to get across, you know. And actually, you don't always do it. But I think... I think in art, the spirit comes across if the technique sometimes is a little weaker. There's there's a spirit of art that I think is communicated, you know, and hopefully that comes across. Well, and I think it does. It's one of the reasons I love your books, because it has this beautiful spirit of just connectiveness. I I don't know how to say it beyond that. I just it, I really feel like you you honor your art in a in a great way and that you're connected oh, to the story and the people's stories you're telling particularly when you're doing this nonfiction. And that is something that I I think you show very well yeah. in all of your art. Oh, thank so you. What if a compliment. Well, <laughs> it's it's truly meant <laughs> because I I think that if our listeners haven't uh, seen your work before that they should go and check it out because there's some some really great things oh, out there that you. you have done and contributed a lot to to just helping us understand some really powerful women and and to get some really great stories. So thank you for taking some time to share that with us today. Thank you, Rachel. Appreciate it. <laughs> Beth Ann Anderson has been Rachel's guest in the first half of this installment of Worlds Awaiting. Anderson is illustrator of the book, Ten Queens, Portraits of Women of Power. Next, does exercise make for better learners, enhancing our children's learning at school, Lowering Our Own Stress Level, Establishing Healthy Life Habits. The connection between literacy and liveliness may not be readily apparent, but it's certainly there. Rachel visits now with Dr. David Barney, Professor of Physical Education at BYU, about some benefits of physical activity. Barney is a member of the Teacher Education Department at BYU. He has taught at Oklahoma State University, North Dakota State University, and in public schools in Utah and Florida. Here's Rachel and David. We're in studio with David today. Welcome, David. Thank you. Good to be here. You are a professor of physical education here at Brigham Young University, and I think that physical education and just the sense of health and education is just a wonderful topic that sometimes I think we 
think we understand it and we think we understand the aspects of how helping our bodies can help us just be better people and interact with the world better. So let's maybe break this down into into something that will help us get a little deeper. But really, what are the health benefits of physical education? Well, I think there are quite a few, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, in, in the schooling for the kids, you know, again, we're finding that the kids are, are being physically active, going back to class. They're better learners. Uh, they're more involved. They're more focused. Um, we're finding that it, it helps reduce stress in people's lives. Uh, years ago, my younger or my older sister came was here was at BYU and she was getting a master's in speech pathology, and she said it was a very challenging um, program. And uh, she said what was her salvation was she'd go to class and I guess she had to do clinical hours and whatever else she had to do. But she said in the evening she'd go jog and she says jogging <laughs> saved my life because she was it was very stressful and she had to maintain certain grades and do certain things. And she said I could go jog and it just kind of kind of washed everything away. Um, we're just we're just finding that it, it, it helps helps us manage our stress better. That is such an interesting health benefit. I think sometimes we realize it, but it may just not right. be a conscious thing. So what is it about physical activity that, that helps us with stress? Have you found anything well, along I, those lines? I guess I'm no physiologist or whatever, but you know, it, it, it's just, it's a way to unwind, to release, to let go. Uh, we, we surveyed and did a little study here with some kids at BYU, the, the activity classes and and we asked him, we said, you know, just coming to this, just coming to the, the stat classes, the student activity classes, does it help relieve your stress? Because I'm of the opinion that college kids are stressed out. <laughs> they are. <laughs> A little. And, and so they said, yeah, they, it does. I can come here and for 50 minutes, I can run up and down the court or I can play volleyball or I can go swim or I can do whatever I need to do. But it helps me unwind. Okay, gives me a break from my classes. I can think of other things. Um, I had one student who says I'm a mechanical engineering student, and I can just forget about mechanical engineering for 50 minutes. He goes, "That is what I need." And and then and they've also said that it gives them a chance to come <laughs> and to talk and to just kind of maybe it's free therapy, maybe, but it, it helps them to manage their stress, um, to get out, to move, to sweat. Um, to, to kind of clear their heads, so to speak. And so uh, from, from a college kid's perspective, a college student's perspective, um, they've found it to be a great way to relieve their stress or to get rid or to lighten their load, so to speak. And, and a lot of them said, you know, I haven't gotten better grades, but it just, it just makes me feel better. I feel better about myself. I'm like, I think that's pretty important then. Well, and that is pretty important. I think when we feel better about ourselves or when we feel more confident that – Everything is just better. Our outlook is better. And uh -huh. all of the way we interact with the world right. is just better. So how do we help our kids really kind of find that joy? How do we help them find that joy of just doing it for the health benefits? I I, I think there's the fun social benefits. Right. But, you know, a lot of us, you know, don't find joy in this kind of physical activity. So how do we build that foundation to help our kids get to that point? As, from a, from a, an adult or a, a parent's perspective is is get those kids involved as soon as you can. Get, get them out there. Um, like I say, go out and play catch with them. Go out and shoot baskets. I mean, walk around the block. If you have a dog, take your dog for a walk. Um, just get them out. Get them, get them going. Um, 
and, and again, make them and maybe have them pick and choose what they want to do or what, what, what's enjoyable for them. Um, we, we, again, we, we see that video games, the, the, the cell phones, uh, the iPads, I mean, they're cool and they're great, but man, they are overtaking people's lives to the point where they're not moving an inch. <laughs> and, you know, the old saying, you pay me now or you pay me later, they're going to be paying for it later because of all of the screen time that, that you know, sitting down type of stuff. And so um, find things, again, they like, that they can pick, that they would, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get them interested and, and do it do it frequently. You know, that brings up something interesting that you may know nothing about, but I, I'd like your opinion on it at the very <laughs> least. You know, one of the things that that I have done with with reading, at least, as I say, you know, it's hard to get them away from the screen sometimes. So what you want to do is pick things that that have reading attached to them. So if they need their tablets or if they're, you know, they need that, then then make a game that actually includes reading or right. something like that. So I think the same might be true of physical activity. There's lots of really great games out there that include these kinds of physical activities. So what is your opinion along those lines about, you know, video games or other kinds of technology related things that help us engage in physical activity? Well, you know, some few years back we bought a, a Wii the the Wii and one of the games or discs we bought was the Wii games, you know. So you can you can play a, a multitude of games that are that are that are physically active, and they're fun, but it's not the same thing for me. It's just yeah, I don't know. I just I mean yeah, it, I mean that's kind of an interesting dichotomy because if the purpose is to get up and get physically active, I think right. they probably fulfill that role, but they don't fulfill some of these other roles. So what are some of the other roles that these games don't fulfill for you? What why why is it not the same? I, 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 there's something about, you know, for, for me, I, I enjoyed playing basketball as a young boy, and there was something about going in my backyard with me and a ball and a basket. It was just a time to think, um, to be outside. Um, there's something about playing with the ball in your hand and getting familiar with it and comfortable with it. Um, I, I guess there's just a lot of underlying... Uh, things like just being by yourself and thinking through. Um, and, and then if not, then you have your brother or sister, your neighbors come over and you play. Um, that I, I don't think a computer game can give you. Um, I just, I just, there's no substitute, I don't think. So how do we do that? I mean, as adults, one of the things I advocate for is just the modeling of it. You know, if we want our kids to read, then we need to read. And I think the same is true of physical activity. If we want our kids to have physical activity, then we should have physical activity. So what tips would you have for adults who maybe are a little less active or maybe didn't build this joy and love as a child in some of these physical activities? What can we do for us to help us be more engaged? Well, find something you like. You know, if you like to be outside, go hike. Um, there's nothing wrong with going to the mall and walking around the mall. I mean, walking is, is I mean, again, I played lots of basketball. My knees aren't as good as they used to be. Walking is wonderful. I like to walk. Um, and there's great benefits that come from simply walking. <laughs> uh, but there there has to be something that, 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 that you can find that you like. And if you find And if it's important to you, then you'll make time for it. Um, that's what my father used to tell me. If it's important, you'll make time for it. It's true. And, <laughs> he and was so, right. <laughs> but as, as we get older and the doctors start saying, hey, you need to get out and get working or get, get out and be physically active. If not, you're going to be six feet under, so to speak, here in so many months or years or whatever. 
then our motivation changes. But th- there has to be something, something, anything that you can do that will raise your heart rate up somehow. Swimming, um, biking, um, golfing, tennis. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. And so if you say there's nothing out there, you're wrong. There are plenty of things out there you can do. <laughs> it it sounds so simple. I like things that are simple like that. I, I yeah. think sometimes the hard thing is the motivation. So how do we motivate ourselves and our kids? What are some simple tips that uh, you know, help motivate us? Having Having someone to do it with is probably one of the best things you can do. A spouse, a friend, a neighbor, mom, dad, brother, sister. It really, I mean, it helps. And, and, you know, you can, you can. I've found, it seems like you can go a certain amount of time and then you kind of hit a wall and you need maybe a little encouragement. And that can come in with a, a friend, um, a neighbor, a spouse, whatever it might be, and, 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 and go together and do things together. And it, and it makes it more enjoyable. And you kind of, you kind of check each other. Tomorrow, yeah. same time, the, ready? Yeah, we got it. We got it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I I think that really is a wonderful thing here, just about physical activity being a family affair. Yeah. I mean, our kids in our lives can be our <laughs> right. our buffer and our help and saying, okay, today we're all going to go do this. And, yeah. And making it that kind of communal social experience. And, and, it, and, it, and it can be done without any pain or discomfort. Well, that that I would hope. <laughs> I don't like pain or discomfort. So <laughs> no. Anything we can do that we love, that's a wonderful way to do yes, it. Yes. Well, thank you, David, for talking to us today about these simple things that we, you know, we probably already knew, but the right. reality is hearing them again can't hurt to help us to really realize how beneficial these things can be and how much they can help us as a family yes. to grow and strengthen our lives. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. David Barney talking with Rachel about the importance of physical activity in our own lives and the lives of our children in enhancing learning. We finish up the show today with two poems about dogs, read by Leslie Norris from his book, Norris's Ark. The first poem is entitled, An Old Dog, and the second, Choosing a Friend. This poem is about a dog. I'm very fond of dogs and always have one or two. This one is called The Old Dog. What does the old dog say? Well, here's another day to sit in the sun. And when my master's up, I'll skip around like a pup and we go for a run. But now I'll lift my head out of my warm bed to greet the dawn, sigh gently and slowly turn, slowly lie down again and softly yawn. All night I've kept an eye open protectingly in case of danger. If anything had gone wrong, I would have raised my strong voice in anger. But all was safe and still. The sun's come over the hill, no need for warning. When he comes down the stair, I shall be waiting there to say good morning. This is another little story poem, I think. It's called Choosing a Friend, and I won't say any more about it, but tell you the story. Bring an old towel, said Pa, and a scrap of meat from the pantry. We're going out in the car, you and I, into the country. 
I did as he asked, although I couldn't see why he wanted an old towel and a scrap of meat. Into the sun we pointed our ford over the green hills. Pa sang. Larks bubbled in the sky. I'd brought with me all my cards. It was my seventh birthday. We turned down a happy lane, half sunlight, half shadow, and saw at the end a white house in a yellow meadow. Mrs. Garner lived there. She was tall. She gave me a glass of milk and showed me her black spaniel. Her name is Silk, Mrs. Garner said. She's got three puppies, two black, one golden. Come and see them. Oh, to have one, one of my own. You can choose one, said Pa. I looked at him. He wasn't joking. I could scarcely say thank you. I was almost choking. It was the golden one. He slept on my knee in the old towel all the way home. He was tiny, but he didn't whimper or howl, not once. That was a year ago, and now I'm eight. And when I get home from school, he'll be waiting behind the gate, listening, listening hard, head raised, eyes warm and kind. He came to me as a gift and grew into a friend. Two charming poems read by the late Welsh poet Leslie Norris from his book, Norris's Ark. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org. <laughs>